BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 4th, the first show of 2022, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. That is correct. The Chicago Federation of Labor. That is correct. The Chicago Teachers Union. That is correct. And of course, Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, January 4th, 2022, and still pre-recorded from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, what better way to kick off the new year than with a new city council synopsis from Mr. Pike, Mr. City Council, Dave Glowetz. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Bye Bye Bobby Tuesday. That's why I was singing that song. Bye Bye Bobby Tuesday. Bobby Rush, the legendary congressman from the 1st Congressional District, announced yesterday that he was stepping down. He probably had a press conference today, D, which uh, I wasn't paying attention to because I was dutifully preparing for this show. But anyway, Bobby Rush, such a flood of memories came back to me when I just started reading the stories about Bobby Rush. It was actually tweets. I was actually reading tweets, D. Be very proud of me. New very year, new bin. New year, new, new bin. New year, new bin. Very millennialistic of me. Or Z-elastic. I just made up that word as well. Uh, I was reading tweets about Bobby Rush uh, stepping down. and just a fl- We're going to have a the deep dive tomorrow with Monroe Anderson, um, uh, one of the few guests in the world who's actually older than I am. Whoa. Older than Ben. Uh, we have a lot of memories in, in, in common about Bobby Rush, but just just pop off the first memory of 1969. I was a little kid at Evanston. Blew my mind. Black Panther raid, the FBI and the Chicago police and the U.S. and the Cook County State's Attorney teamed up to uh, lead an assault on the Black Panthers headquarters on uh, Monroe on the west near west side. Uh, Bob and um, Fred Hampton, of course, was killed. Mark Clark was killed. Bobby Rush was not there that night. Otherwise... He had been killed, too, and I remember him going underground uh, and uh, almost into protective custody because he was afraid that he was going to he was going to be killed, that he'd been targeted. Real powerful uh, stuff. Uh, I lived through these moments, and so did you, ladies and gentlemen, anybody over the age of uh, 50 or so. Uh, and then, of course, 1983, when he was first elected uh, alderman, what a great moment that was. That was in the Harold Washington triumph, the mayoral election of 1983, and just a whole slew of black aldermen who've been loyal to Jane Byrne got washed away uh, in that landslide. And I believe the gentleman's name was William Barnett that uh, doing this off the top of my head. Let's hope my memory is as strong as I think it is. And Bobby Rush got ushered in. Everybody was shocked. Mainstream Daily is like, oh, my God, a Black Panther in the city council. And even now the tribunal is still pounding that theme. They're red baiting the end. A Black Panther. Anyway, and then, of course, 1999, he ran uh, for mayor of the city of Chicago. And I think I was the only person who voted for him. I voted for him for mayor against Richie Daly. I got a feeling my guest, Dave Glowatz, also voted for Bobby Rush, but though he will never admit it. Not on this show. No. <laughs> Maybe in a private conversation. What show would you admit it on? <laughs> I mean, it remains you know, to be seen. Yeah. Anyway, 19. I voted for him. Yes. Proudly cast my vote for Bobby Rush. And uh, I'm going to stop my reminiscing about Bobby Rush because I'm going to do more of it with Monroe Anderson tomorrow. But I proudly voted f- for Bobby Rush. I remember so many conversations, Dave Glowatz, with police officers at the time who were outraged at Mayor Daley because he's dragging his feet on their contract, as he always did. And I'm going, guys, vote for Bobby Rush. And they'd be like, we can't because he was a Black Panther. I'm like, that's like 30 years ago. The statute of limitation is expired. Nope. 
Chicago. What a city. What a crazy city. Uh, and also, D, I got to tell you this one thing before we bring on the great Dave Glowatz. This was a, sort of the subject of my column this week. Over the weekend, I don't know if everybody saw I know most of my listeners saw it because I, I, texts were sent to me from at least three listeners. God bless every one of you. Uh, Donald Trump endorsed Mary Miller uh, in her race for Congress against Rodney Davis. So this is some serious MAGA stuff, ladies and gentlemen. And those uh, Democrats stole a page from the Republicans and they gerrymandered Mary Miller. Uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller to the same district uh, as uh, Boast, Mike Boast. I'm sick of it. You know, Boast, we play that all the time. I'm sick of it. So Mary Miller's like, hmm, I don't think I could beat a MAGA guy. I know what I'll do. I'll uh, run in the 15th congressional district where Rodney Davis, who's what passes for a moderate in the Republican Party, which generally means I'm just not going to pay attention to the fascism that's taking over my party. I'll just look the other way. That's considered moderate Republicans these days. So anyway, this is so preposterous. Mary Miller, of course, is the uh, the congresswoman who uh, made her name by saying, and I quote, Hitler was right. Mm -hmm. And her explanation was probably even worse and more offensive uh, than that actual statement. Anyway, so she's running and she's got Donald Trump's endorsement. That means she's the maggiest MAGA candidate in that race. Rodney Davis, who's the moderate, is trying to out MAGA her D. This is the part that I could. He's like saying Darren Bailey <laughs> is not MAGA enough. It's really complicated, convoluted uh, GOP politics. But follow me on this, folks. Mary Miller has endorsed Darren Bailey for governor. OK, why not? They're all MAGA. So they should. But Darren Bailey's running mate is Stephanie Trussell, who in 2016 did not endorse Trump. OK, so old boy Rodney Davis is going back to 2016 to hammer Stephanie Trussell and Darren Bailey as never Trumpers. And this is how far the Republican Party has come under the control of Trump. They got to go back four. by the way, it's it's actually uh, six years almost uh, a little uh, calculations. D, clean that up on the editing. I'm sick uh, of it. <laughs> Post. <laughs> oh, he's sick of tyranny, the tyranny of uh, Michael Madigan, but he loves it when it's Donald Trump. Anyway, so uh, Ronnie Davis is trying uh, to position uh, Mary Miller uh, as soft on Trump. I'm like, man, you have lost your mind, Republicans. It's all about who has Trump's endorsement. We talk about this later in the show. But I just want to thank all the many people who sent me that text over the weekend. Donald Trump endorses Mary Miller and Rodney Davis accuses her of being a never Trumper. All right. Without further ado, I bring on uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of inside Chicago government, who's been dutifully collecting clips of city council meetings to play on my show, Dave Glowatz. Welcome back, Cotter. Thanks again for having me, Ben. And again, Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. And as I always uh, point out, uh, Dave and I, uh, this is total improv. I have no idea what he's going to play before the show. I said, Dave, mm, you think we should break from tradition and have you tell me what uh, you're going to play? And Dave goes, no. <laughs> he yells at me all the time. I was a little quieter than that. <laughs> He's not. He's a total gentleman. He doesn't do any of these things. Uh, all right, Dave. So I have no idea. I just know you have five clips, and it's from the last city council meeting, which took place sometime in December. December 15th. December 15th. Ah, yes, I remember that day well. Uh, so take it away, Dave Glowatz. Thanks. That was uh, the full, the last full city council meeting. There was actually a transportation committee meeting a couple days later. That city council, you know, they they do it all the way down to the wire. So the December 15 meeting lasted about four hours. And you've probably heard, Ben, about the most dramatic moment was when at about three hours into the meeting, 34th Ward Alderman Carrie Austin appeared to pass out. And that paused the meeting while she was taken for medical attention. Apparently, she's okay, as evidenced by that Transportation Committee meeting two days later via video conference. I, I haven't seen any word on what specifically afflicted Austin, and we can talk more about that later, and how, especially on how it all looked from the press box, box, which is pretty interesting. Anyway, at the December 15 meeting, 
There was uh, an approval of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's nomination for Commissioner of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection, name of Ken Meyer. Before voting on Meyer's approval, Alderman spent 35 minutes, only 35 minutes, praising him. (laughs) Ben, I have a trivia question for you. What Uh, job does Meyer's predecessor currently hold? uh, Meyer's predecessor is currently uh, the superintendent of the Chicago Park District. Her name is? Uh, Rose Escarano. Rosa Escarino. Yes. Not bad, huh? And Not no, bad. Th- this is what he does to me, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you love it. You love showing I, off. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe I passed that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so she spent a whole three months in retirement before being tapped to replace uh, the ousted Park District Superintendent Mike Kelly. Yeah, so there, there you go. And uh, shout out one more time to Danny Mialopoulos, uh, who led, who without young Daniels, uh, Excellent reporting for WBZ. Mike Kelly probably still would be uh, bearing evidence of assaults of uh, lifeguards uh, in Chicago. So and Rosa Escarino would be enjoying vacation somewhere. Yes. In some COVID-19 free environment, we would hope. Yes. All right. So, so Dennis, please, we're going to start with Settle first. Oh, okay. <laughs> we settle for the best here. So we'll start a police with a police shooting settlement, mm-hmm. which has its origin way back in 2014, when a guy named Pedro Rios, who was 14 years old, was shot and killed while running from two police officers in the Portage Park neighborhood. Video footage showed that Rios had dropped a handgun during the foot chase. Subsequently, Rios' family sued the city in federal court for using excessive force. Fast forward to last year, December 13, 2021, the the Finance Committee, the City Council's Finance Committee, approved a $1.2 million settlement in the case. In this audio, we'll first hear the Finance Committee Chair, 32nd Ward Alderman Scott Wagesbeck, giving his report proposing council approval of the settlement. Let's listen. Item 7C is an order authorizing corporation council to enter into and execute a settlement agreement in the case of Pedro Rios versus the city of Chicago in the amount of $1.2 million. The chair recognizes Alderman Lopez. It seems more and more we have these types of lawsuits where we are again paying for the bad lifestyle choices of individuals in the city of Chicago. This young man was a known gangbanger. This young man was shooting at police. And this young man lost his life because the police returned fire trying to protect their own life. And I will continue to raise the alarm that we are doing nothing more than rewarding bad behavior. We have to, as a body, at some point, say enough. Alderman Taylor. The officer who was settling this suit has five other cases against him that the city has paid for. And so I agree that we got to do something different. Like Alderman Lopez, I'm tired of paying lawsuits, too. And there's no real change happening in the city. And so having to pay these families is nothing any of us want to do. But it's our responsibility and duty to say we will pay no more money without some real change. The chair recognizes Alderman Irvin. I asked this question before. Who is going to pay if we want to roll the dice? I heard anybody say, hey, I'll pay if we were selling for 1.2 million. If it goes to 3 million, who's going to pay the difference? I hear no one raising their hand say, hey, I I want to pay the million dollars in attorney's fees on top of whatever judgment is handed down. I think we employ folks, corporation counsel and the team to do the best that they can given these situations. We don't want to listen to their, their judgment. Then we need to do something different. I agree. We, we do need to be thinking about our, our risk management practices and what we can do to make changes. And I think that we've started with workers' comp and done some other things. I think we will get there in time. But we cannot take this cavalier attitude, especially when it's not coming out of your pocket. Again, I'm asking, will somebody raise their hand that wants to pay the bill when it goes south? I'm waiting. I thought not. Chairman Wagus, back back to you. I just want to correct the record that we had no evidence of a shooting or shots fired by the deceased Rios. (laughs) With that, I will restate my motion. If I may, Alderman, just a point of clarification. This was a 14-year-old boy, correct? Yes. I think the evidence demonstrates that he was running away from the police. Is that correct? Yes. And 
My understanding is the officer is seen on video after the shots are fired and a boy is down, kicking him in the head. There's is that, that correct? Yes, for the record, yes. Thank you. Toward the end there, we heard 28th Alderman, 28th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin castigating his colleagues who opposed the $1.2 million settlement. And I was curious how 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez, who we also heard, felt about uh, Irvin's comments. So I talked with Alderman Lopez after the meeting, and listeners can hear what he said in the extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com. To you, Ben. Well, before I uh, go further, what did Alderman just uh, summarize what the Alderman said to you? Alderman Ray Lopez uh, said to you regarding what uh, Alderman Irvin had said on the council floor. He's concerned about the message that these settlements send to his constituents, who he says are terrorized by, quote, gangbangers, unquote, and there needs to be some way to address that message mm. that the you know the message that when you know, the families of what he considers Lopez considers bad guys see that there's a payout by the city it sort of positive, positively reinforces that bad behavior all right. Well, so he ducked and dodged uh, the central point uh, that uh, Jason Irvin was making. And I'm not surprised because. Uh, just, just, just to be clear, he said more about, you know, where uh, what what the posture of the law department is on this. So he didn't dodge it completely. Not completely, but it seems like he dodged it mostly. Anyway, he, it, it, since uh, you're not you're holding off on telling us exactly what he said, uh, I'll just say this: there are two separate issues, as I see it, Dave, uh, that you're um, reporting illustrate and an excellent job, by the way. One more time, you do such a good job of like s- concisely uh, bringing these to life with the uh, with these um, uh, excerpts. Uh, so, one issue is police conduct and how police deal with shootings, put that to the side. And the other is the issue of protecting, quote-unquote, protecting the taxpayers when it comes to uh, litigation. And Jason Irvin was raising that point directly uh, to uh, Ray Lo, uh, Raymond Lopez when he was challenging Lopez. Uh, and essentially what he's saying is this, is that the lawyers for the city of Chicago have looked at the evidence and decided that the best they could get uh, if this matter goes further, goes before a jury, uh, this is the best they can get in terms of protecting taxpayers' payout. What was it, $1.2 million? That yeah. if, this, if this case goes before a jury and that video, which shows the police officer kicking Rios in the head after he's been shot, is seen by a jury, it could be much more than $1.2 million. It could be, I don't know, Five million, ten million. So what Jason Irvin is saying to Raylo, hey, you want us to be not to approve these settlements? You want us to play hardball uh, in this litigation? Okay, you personally pay the difference. You guarantee that uh, the amount of money over the one point two million, and that's a very that it's the same basic point that was at play at the Laquan McDonald case, Dave. We've talked about this. I mean. Essentially, Mayor Rahm and his lawyers were saying the $5 million they paid to Laquan McDonald's family uh, was less than they would be paying if they went to court. And a jury saw the video, which, by the way, underscores one more time the absurdity of Ron's contention that he didn't know what, that what was on that video, did not know that the video itself completely violated, I mean, completely contradicted the police department's uh, more or less official stance on what went down with Laquan McDonald. You're speaking now of former Mayor Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel. Yes. And so now fast forward, it's the same situation. When there's a shooting by the police, the uh, victims, the person who has been killed, their family files suit against the city. And then it's up to the city's lawyers. And this is this is like a very clinical, almost heartless procedure that has nothing to do with like caring about the people who've been killed or the families whose lives are turned upside down or the police officers whose lives may be turned upside down. This is all about how much money will we as a city have to pay out? 
what's the likelihood that we're going to win the case? What's the likelihood that we're going to lose the case? And so that is like, and then it comes before the city council uh, for approval. And I think that to a certain degree, Raylo was posturing here, uh, Dave. I really do believe that. I think, first of all, his rendition of what went down in that uh, video was not supported by the video, as Mayor Lori Lightfoot pointed out. She couldn't wait to point that one out in her cross-examination of Scott Wagesbeck. Uh, but beyond that, as Jason Irvin was saying, it's like he knows, Raylo's a very smart guy, he knows that it's a matter of just like calculating. It's almost like an actuarial calculation, Dave. They're trying to project the payout. And uh, that's the game that's going on. And that's quite different, I think, than the whole issue of police relations. I mean, I guess they're sort of, they're tied together. But I, as I see it, uh, the discussion of how police deal with shootings is one thing. And then there's a the discussion of whether you're, this is the most you're going to have to pay out, uh, which is what Irvin is raising. So I can give Jason Irvin credit. I think he uh, raised a very good point. He did it in a very dramatic and compelling way. One point that Irvin made was, and he, he said it just in passing, that one thing that the city has done, which it did under Mayor Lightfoot, was create a, a position called chief risk officer, which nominally has the responsibility of looking at where are what are the behaviors, what are the actions by city employees that makes uh, the city most liable to these kinds of suits, which what puts it, you know, gives it uh, most exposure to risk. And <clears throat> I'm blanking on her name, but the woman who Mayor Lightfoot hired in that position resigned. Yeah. And I'm not aware that that position has been filled. So that's just an interesting point to me that uh, Irvin feels or he says that we are somehow the, the city is addressing risk management, but um, we don't know. Well, it doesn't seem like the city's doing a great job of addressing risk management. If Mind you, that this suit is from 2014, too. Yeah, no, what I'm saying, if the uh, if there's no person actually in the risk management job, uh, that's like saying the Ben Jarofsky show is doing a great job of covering the city council uh, if there was no Dave Glowatz uh, reporting on the Ben Jarofsky show. Well, we have a position, but we just haven't filled it. It depends on how you message it. You, you know, if you put it on enough social media, what's what is truth? Yes, what is truth? It's truthy. Uh, so anyway, I um, yeah, I I this one. I don't know if you have. Like I said, you don't tell me what you have. So, uh, do you have something related to Anjanette Young by any chance coming up? Is that little? Uh, matter. Let's look here. Yes, as a matter okay, of fact. I'm not going to say another word. Because I, <laughs> I was going to go somewhere, but I will allow, I will follow your lead. Well, if you want, we can go to that one right now. I'm just following your lead. <laughs> I'm following your lead, too. This is called reciprocity. Okay. Dennis, please, we'll do law next. Let me give some background on this piece chronologically. First, in 2019, as you alluded, Ben, Chicago police wrongfully raided the home of Anjanette Young on the west side. The following year, it became public that the city's law department had tried in court to block CBS2 TV from airing police body cam video from the botched raid. And after that, in December 2020, the city's top lawyer, Mark Flessner, who was appointed by Mayor Lightfoot, resigned. In early December of 2021, the city's finance committee approved a $2.9 million settlement in a lawsuit brought by Ms. Young. Shortly after that, Mr. Flester wrote a letter to the Chicago Tribune in which he said the settlement amount was way too high. Flesner wrote, quote, the mayor did not settle this case for an outrageous amount of taxpayer money because the city was legally exposed to a potentially high judgment. She used taxpayer money to jumpstart her re-election campaign, unquote. So at the December 15 city council meeting, Alderman unanimously approved the Anjanette Young settlement. Finally, at the mayor's press conference after the meeting, a reporter asked Lightfoot what she thought about 
Flesner's letter. Here's what she said. Let's listen. I don't typically comment about former employees, but I asked for Mark Flesner's resignation because I utterly lost confidence in his ability to function as the corporation counsel. There were a number of things leading up to the decision, certainly starting with the fact that he authorized without much consideration the filing of injunctive action against a media company without any consultation or even giving me notice that it had happened. The fact that throughout the course of that week, he repeatedly said disparaging things related to Ms. Young. Fundamentally, what was clear is he just didn't see her. He didn't value her experience in that moment, as we all saw in that video. And frankly, the fact is, for whether it's because she's a woman, whether it's because she's a woman of color, he didn't value her experience as he needed to, just as a basic human being. But what became clear to me is, given his conduct, given the comments that he made openly, that he had lost the confidence of the senior staff, he lost the confidence of others across city government, he lost the confidence of a vast majority of older people and members of the public. And it was clear to me that I could not trust his judgment and counsel. And that's why I asked for his resignation. Now, he'll continue to say whatever he says. God bless him. That's his right under our Constitution. But I think it's important that first and foremost, <laughs> we recognize what Miss Young went through and the trauma that she experienced. And I think the proof is in a pudding. Unanimously, which rarely happens on matters of, of settlements, the city council affirmed the agreement that had been reached with Ms. Young and her council to pay her $2.9 million. And anybody that says that something substantially less, I think, again, just demonstrates and underscores the point that I made, which is he didn't see her, he didn't value her experience, and that's why he's no longer the corporation council. Yeah, well, uh, I was going to bring this up and uh, you captured it uh, brilliantly and effectively. So great job there with Lori Lightfoot. And I have to say, I've been um, disagreeing with Lori Lightfoot a lot over the last two years. But at this point, I'm with her. Uh, But wait, let me back up for a second. I will... I'm with her in regards to uh, her response to Flesner's essay in the, in the Tribune. I, you said it was a letter to the Tribune. I, I thought it was a, whatever. I thought it was like a column he wrote for the Tribune. But it made, Well, they didn't put it in the letters section. They gave it its own little half page. So they clearly thought it was worth highlighting. Uh, I, so who knows what it was. But it was in the Tribunal. I actually read it. Uh, and I, it, it got to what the point I was making before, which is why I was going to raise it uh, back then. And that is Flesner in that essay, in that letter, whatever you want to call it, was acting like a like basically a um, a corporation lawyer. And he was trying to figure figure out risk for his client. And so if you go to court uh, and we have a trial Will we win? And if we win and we lose, what will the payout be? And he's not looking at the matter as in terms of any injustice done, any harm done to Anjanette Young. He's not looking at the matter as a way of trying to get police not to uh, blindly rush into homes uh, with their no-knock warrants. He's not looking at it in that way. He's a cold-hearted corporate lawyer making a judgment as to what his client's risk is. And so Lori Lightfoot, who should know a few things about corporate lawyers and their cold-heartedness because she is a corporate lawyer or was before she was mayor, so she probably knows the beast, uh, is absolutely correct when he when she says that he shows no regard. He does not see Angela. He doesn't care about Angela. What, why should he... Mark Flesner, who is a lawyer looking out for the corporate interests of the city of Chicago, care about someone who's coming against the city. So, the, Ben, the mayor wants us, it sounds to me like the mayor wants us to think that Flesner was some kind of rogue. And it leads me to ask the question, and I wonder what you think about this. Do you think that the law department's sort of posture on settlements changed significantly before or after Flesner's tenure? I, I don't. Okay, let me just put it this way. I have no idea what the veracity of anything that Lori Lightfoot said as to the law department's attitude toward Flesner, how Flesner behaved, whether what Flesner did was any different than uh, any law department had before. Uh, I, I don't see 
anything that Fleshner did that really marks it differently than any other corporation council. And corporation councils, like I said, they whisper to the the ears of mayors and they give cold-hearted recommendations. They don't care about the victims. They... I, I just don't think there's a corporation council in the last 20 years who has great compassion for people shot by Chicago police officers, for police, people raided by Chicago. Their number, number one interest is limiting a payout. It's like saying, does the corporation lawyer who defends General Motors in a lawsuit in which a General Motors car like erupted and killed six people care about that six people? No, they care about General Motors and they care about their reputation as being the kind of lawyer that can use litigation and the courtroom as a way to reduce the payout the General Motors of the world have to make. And that's how they get more clients. Do you think like the General Motors of the world is going to hire a lawyer if the lawyer has a reputation of settling cases for more than the payout would be? No, they're looking for scoundrels. They're looking for people with hearts the size of raisins. So they, this is this is an important context in which to view the mayor's remark, I think. Absolutely. The mayor's the mayor is doing posturing just like Raylo was mayor's acting like she cared about Anjanette young. If you recall when the case first broke mayor life and I still keep it. Here you go, Dave. <laughs> just so you know, I'm not kidding. I keep it on my desk as a reminder, mayor Lightfoot statement on CPD body worn camera footage from February, 2019 incident, December 15, 2020 released Tuesday, December 15, 2020. I printed it out. She said, quote, today I became aware of an incident involving Miss Anjanette Young before I became mayor. And I saw a video today for the first time. I had no knowledge of either until today. Well, it turns out she did have knowledge. Yeah. So, yeah, and, I, and, and she is a corporate lawyer. And we have further context from earlier this, I'm sorry, earlier in 2021, where reportedly, the administration wanted to settle with Ms. Young for far less than $2.9 million, causing two of the city council members to defer, to block Mayor's replacement of Flessner, Celia Meza, for corporation council because they claimed these two um, city council members, um, uh, um, Jeanette Taylor and Ray Lopez, that... Um, the city council that the, the administration wasn't uh, disrespecting Young by offering far less. Yeah, and they were playing hardball with Anjanette Young, and that and and so Flester was right to a degree in his little essay for the Tribune that there are political co- considerations. Duh, political. It's a political consideration, Flester, because not everybody has the heart the size of a raisin. Not everybody views the world like a corporate lawyer. Okay, not everybody views the world as like, well, we're only going to have to pay out X, Y and Z. His phraseology in his essay for the tribunal was was just so revealing. I forget. I forget how he did it. It, it, But he like he did everything he could to minimize, you know, and they always like I got a stopwatch. This is the other thing about Anjanette Young. They got a they have like this. uh, I should bring Dave Savini on man, a Channel 2 reporter who broke this story. But they got like a stopwatch. How many seconds was she actually forced to stand there naked? And then they get it down to as little as they can to go. Well, it was only, I don't know, six minutes. (laughs) Six minutes is a long time or whatever it is. If you're naked, a bunch of cops looking at you. So, I mean, he is about dismissing as irrelevant and insignificant the risk. That's his job as the lawyer trying to reduce the payout. Okay. Now, Lori Lightfoot, she had that. I think she had that first instinct, that corporation counsel, excuse me, that corporate lawyer in her kicked in, you know, and she had that first instinct. And then she saw the political fallout. Then she realized that this could really damage her credibility. And so she wanted to put behind her first. Remember she met with Anjanette Young, remember that one? Uh, to try to show that she was sympathetic, that she wasn't like a, a corporate lawyer. And so ultimately, as a politician who has to run for re-election, yes, yeah, she has to make political decisions. 
And that's the reality. And when a guy like Flessner advises a mayor, he's supposedly taking into considerations the cost, the money that the city would have to pay out or they think they have to pay out and the political calculations, which is why I believe in Laquan McDonald uh, video going back to uh, that drama manuals, they decided pay the money now so nobody will ever see the video and there will be no political fallout for you. We're just going to bury this thing in part with a $5 million settlement. We all know that went on. We're not dumb. Chicagoans aren't dumb. Now we're still pretending as though Rom didn't bury that video. Well, let's see how dumb we really are. I'm going to introduce even a more cynical perspective on this is that um, perhaps we don't know the real narrative here. It's possible, I can imagine a scenario in which someone got to Fluster and said, would you write this letter on behalf of the administration to help Mayor Lightfoot <laughs> position herself? Oh, my God. Whoa. We don't know, right? X-File stuff. We were, we were talking earlier about, you know, what, what is truth? You know, you can, you can if wow, you have the right. Wait, now that's, that, it, it, as cynical and jaded as I, people accuse me of being, I just think I'm jaded. I don't think I'm cynical. Um, do you actually think that's a possibility? Why not? Whoa. So, Fles- <laughs> wow. I don't know what to say, ladies and gentlemen. I think I finally found someone even more jaded than I am. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm saying that it's it's in the realm of possibility, in, you know, in terms of public relations and being able to spin things so that someone can come back and, and knock up against it, you know? Uh, which is exactly what well, happened. Well, you know, it's like, uh, I know what you're saying. It's like when uh, Phil Ponce in the debate with, um, between, he was the uh, M, the moderator of Rahm Emanuel's debate with uh, Chewy Garcia. And he chastised uh, in a question, uh, Jesus Garcia, because his son had been involved in gang activity. How could, how could you be mayor of the city of Chicago uh, and have a son do this? Why would people trust you? And that gave Mayor Rahm the opportunity <laughs> To say, oh, you've gone too far. <laughs> Remember that? I'm like, what? Well, Rob, you fed him that question. <laughs> but uh, whatever. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I, I, I just question everything. Yes, that's that's our job as journalists, right? Believe so, nothing, question it all. Shall we move on? Yes, sir. Dennis, please, will do procure next. Ooh. Well, let's go again back to December. In early December, the Lightfoot administration introduced an ordinance that doubled the dollar amount of emergency goods or services that the Department of Procurement Services could buy without city council approval. Normally, the amount was $500,000, and this ordinance would would change the um, sort of this um, ability to buy stuff without approval, without council approval to $1 million dollars. The original version of the ordinance had no time limit, but apparently after city council feedback, the administration added language that would sunset the ordinance at the end of this year, 2022. This proposed ordinance passed the budget committee on December 10, and we'll now hear two bits of audio. The first is from the December 15 city council meeting in which we'll hear what happened to the ordinance after budget committee chair, Alderman Pat Dowell proposed passage. And the second part is from Mayor Lightfoot's press conference right after the council meeting. Let's listen. A substitute ordinance amending section 2-92-644 of the municipal code regarding emergency procurement. I move passage of this item by the same motion if there is no objection, with the exception of Alderman Tabaris, who wants to be recorded as a no vote. The chair recognizes Alderman Bill. Madam President, me and Alderman Lopez move to defer and publish this item. The matter will be deferred and published. I'd also like to bring up another measure that should have passed today, but was unfortunately deferred and published. This is an ordinance that would give our chief procurement officer, Eileen Velasquez, the ability to purchase chemicals necessary to keep our city's drinking water clean in the event of an emergency. We need to ensure that all of our residents, no matter what zip code, have access to clean water, period. It's a vital necessity and a basic right. And as we're still in the midst of the pandemic, it's absolutely vital that the city government be able to act swiftly and effectively to provide these essential services to our residents. 
and the emergency was clear. Supply chain issues and others, which is why we brought this matter to the attention of the city council. Now, to be clear, I always want to work with our city council where I can. But where there's an emergency, as every single member of the city council knew, including Alderman's Beal and Lopez, I simply cannot stand by and let gamesmanship get in the way of progress. That's why I signed this executive order today. I look forward to working with my colleagues in city council to pass the ordinance in January. The one that got voted out a budget, I think, reflected the changes that were made based upon uh, the feedback. I mean, that's what the legislative process is all about. You know, there's give and take that happens. We got feedback. We made the adjustments and we moved forward. But the reality is we have to make sure that we have chlorine. Chlorine prices have gone through the roof. This is what really necessitated this emergency action. And I can't stand by and let whatever was motivating those two aldermen derail us from doing what's the right thing. I think people got that. It was a matter that was actually going to pass, I think, overwhelmingly. Now we're going to get to the same place through an executive order, and hopefully we'll be able to get it voted out and passed in January when we come back. Just a couple of points of clarification. What we heard was Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal moving to defer the proposed ordinance, meaning that it can't be considered for approval till the council's next scheduled meeting. And the mayor had apparently waiting an executive order just in case this thing happened. So we got the power anyway. Also, I want to point out that, you know, reading both the ordinance and the executive order, the Lightfoot administration originally said that it needed this power because the price of water treatment chemicals, you hear the mayor talking about chlorine in particular, Mm -hmm. had risen too quickly for the city to continue to continue to buy them in time before the city council could approve the expenditures. But as I say, reading both these, the order and the um, ordinance, uh, it applies to all purchases, not just water treatment chemicals. Yes, and uh, I... um Wow, Anthony Beal and uh, Alderman Lopez are really doubling down on this. Uh, The essential issue here uh, is the... The legislative, the power of the city council to oversee uh, the mayor. And it's interesting that uh, Alderman Beal and Alderman Lopez would become such powerful advocates of the city council to have this oversight. As I like to point out, every time uh, we deal with this issue, uh, I've never heard them uh, urge the city council to have such oversight when it was Mayor Rahm Emanuel in charge or Mayor Richard Daly uh, in charge. In fact, uh, I can't recall anybody in the Chicago City Council uh, who urged the city. Maybe Scott Waggis back uh, on the matter of the parking meter deal uh, back in 2000. When was that? Eight or whenever that was. So uh, I I just like to always point that out. Uh, Dave, you know, you and I have had this conversation many times, I believe, in a division of government, and I do believe uh, that the city council should have such uh, authorization, uh, authority uh, over the mayor on matters of this. I think they should work in conjunction with each other. I uh, do not see why the city, the mayor needs to have such executive authority. I don't believe the official line that somehow or other public interest at stake because they can't get the they can't get that money to buy that chlorine fast enough. You know what I'm saying? Then it turns out she could do it by executive order anyway. So what do you need the executive? You already have the executive authority. Ben, don't you want clean water? (laughs) There you go. How many trees have you planted, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) They're just always flipping on you. I, but so, you know, I'm a, maybe I'm a little skeptical of what everybody is saying in this moment. You know, how dedicated Beal and uh, Lopez are to the the uh, principle. Wait, you're questioning that people mean what they say? I know. That's horrible. Dennis, could you edit that out, please? Uh, <laughs> so, but it, you know, I, uh, I, I listen, I it, it it's one of these things where there's so few people in politics today who have fixed principles as opposed to movable principles. So for instance, the Republican party in Illinois is outraged. I tell you outraged, Aaron Bailey, I'm outraged that governor Pritzker would seek executive authority over expenditures in the middle of COVID. This is not a tyranny. We are not living under a dictatorship. And yet when it comes to Donald Trump, it's like 
let's just make him dictator and in charge of everything. He's calling up officials in Georgia, getting asking them to change their vote. They want to like undo the election so that Trump gets to be president again. So is you see what I'm saying? Dave, it's a matter of, well, I'm against tyranny when it comes to the Democrat, but I'm for it when it comes to Republican. So this is why I'm saying I just I wish I saw more people that displayed fixed principles. So as opposed were, to fluid. Yes. As opposed to fluid. Oh, my God. What a thought. Fluid. I think there was a a, a rock group called Fluid Principles uh, back in the early. If that's 80s. not a band name. It totally should be. Yes. Uh, punk I'm rock. I'm writing group. that one down. <laughs> Fluid principles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I'm with you, Raylo and uh, Beal. Just wish I could seen a little more of that in the good old days of Rob. Well, you know. <laughs> well, let's hear. Let's hear a little more from Alderman Beal, if you like. Go ahead, Dennis. Please, we'll do rules next. Again, I'll set this up chronologically. In June of 2020, said. Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal introduced an ordinance establishing a city council legal department. And that provision of a legal staff would include a city council parliamentarian. And the parliamentarian acts as a kind of referee during meetings of the full city council. So if a a question arises during a meeting about whether a particular motion or procedure violates the municipal code or the city council's own rules, the parliamentarian advises the presiding officer on how to proceed. And of course, in the council, the presiding officer is usually the mayor. So anyway, that parliamentarian function is currently staffed by the mayor's law department. Since June, the administration's council allies have pretty much kept Beale's ordinance bottled up in the rules committee. So at the December 15th city council meeting, rules committee chair, Alderman Michelle Harris, gave a report that said Beale's ordinance had been discharged from the Rules Committee to the Committee on Budget and Government Operations, where it would normally be considered. Then, a half hour later, after a couple other committee reports, Harris asked to be recognized again, and here's what's happened. Let's listen. Madam President, I'd like to correct the record. The earlier report that I read cannot be considered today, one, because the items are no longer in the Rules Committee. So one, it violates the Rules Committee and the Open Meetings Act and that they were not noticed. So we cannot hear that item. We cannot record those items today. So the first report will be stricken? Yes. And uh, <laughs> there are no objections. So. Yep. Next up, the committee on, oh, sorry. That report, chair rec- the chair recognizes Alderman Beal. Thank you. That report that was reported out, that was gaveled and approved, correct? And then corrected. And I think that's Madam what Madam President, the, you cannot go back and undo something that you gaveled. I believe I can. No, you cannot, Madam particularly President. Particularly when it that violates. Was, it was, particularly it was, it was when it was reported and approved and gaveled. You cannot go back and undo that. That is a done deal, signed, sealed, and delivered. When the item that is brought forward, the chairman recognizes that there was brought forth an error when it has not been properly noticed and it violates the Open Meetings Act, we absolutely... Uh, if you, Alderman Beal, please let me just finish and I'll let you respond. The chairman uh, indicated that she inadvertently went through an agenda that was not the correct agenda, that was not properly noticed, and as a consequence would violate the Open Meetings Act. She has come back and corrected the record, as I understand it, and asked that the first reading be stricken. That is entirely appropriate. It, it, the item was not in, in the jurisdiction of the committee. That's no different than voting on something and say, oh, I didn't mean to vote on that and go back and change your vote after the gavel is gaveled. If it's our rules state that once something is gaveled and approved, it is signed, sealed and delivered, regardless if it was a mistake or not. So, so Alderman Beal, show me which rule says that, because that's not that's not correct. What's <laughs> correct is that we have to follow state law, that things have to be properly noticed so that we do not violate the Opens Meetings Act. And the inadvertent mistake that was made by the chairman to read a, an agenda that actually wasn't before the body, we absolutely have not only the opportunity, but the obligation to correct that record, which is what the chairman has done. On that note, Madam President, once again, ladies and gentlemen, is why we need our own parliamentarian and our own legal team to represent this council. There's a conflict of interest when you have corporation counsel 
wearing two hats. We need to separate powers in this council. Just one point. I wanted to know how Beal was going to proceed with this ordinance, so I interviewed him about it. And listeners can hear that interview at the Inside Chicago Government website, shygov.com, in the city council section. That is, an, that is great stuff there. And uh, let me just point out, all right, the Open Meetings Act is the uh, the state law that requires a certain amount of uh, notice before uh, a meeting uh, occurs, a public body. 48 uh, hours. 48. Thank you for knowing that. Good God. I, whoa. I, I keep hearing the mayor cited all the time. So uh, I, I, I'd, I'd be uh, incompetent if I didn't know. Uh, and then also, in other words, uh, you have to have the public, uh, allow the public to be let in on meetings if a certain number of officials uh, are present at the time. Uh, and so yeah, I just, again, we're going back to uh, fluid principles as opposed to uh, fixed principles. I rec- as I recall, uh, this was an issue we talked about at great length in 2020 uh, when uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot began having meetings with Alderman. Remember that, Dave, to discuss um, what to do uh, about uh, the, uh, the riots and the lawlessness after George Floyd's murder. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's funny. No one cared about the Open Meetings Act then. They were having private meetings, which is w- what led to that great, or excuse me, strike great, infamous exchange between uh, Ray Lopez and Mayor Lori Lightfoot that we will never tire of replaying in the Ben Jarofsky show because it shows you how they really talk. Uh, and that, of course, and, is and who uh, who uh, somebody sued the administration was it the Better Government Association to point out that they were violating the Open Open Meetings Act to have these meetings of uh, ten or more aldermen in yes. private. Yes, and I can't remember what happened with that lawsuit. We'll have somebody in our uh, research department look into that. <laughs> Sarah, so look into that. Okay, get back to me. I'm uh, guessing that they dropped it because the administration said that. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but the administration said they aren't going to do that anymore. I so. see. Okay, they're not now. They're big believers in the Open Meetings Act. Uh, so it, I, <laughs> this is hilarious because, first of all, the principle of an Open Meetings Act, in my humble opinion, is violated by the way in which they use the Rules Committee as a dumping ground to keep any kind of openness, any kind of public discussion and debate over a proposal, a legitimate proposal. It is a legitimate proposal as to whether the city council shall have its own separate parliamentarian. I think that's an absolutely essential point for public debate. Neil's not not giving up on it. Yeah, and I think he's right in that. Again, I'll repeat. I wish he was this uh, much of a defender for the legislative uh, oversight authority of the city council back in the days of Rahm and Daly, but, you know, better late than never. And uh, so I agree with him. At the very least, there should be a debate about it, and the aldermen should be required to vote on it. But they don't, Dave, want to put the aldermen in an embarrassing position where they have to vote for their own, in quotes, legislative interest, as opposed to the mayor's executive interests and so they bury it in rules so you won't have a discussion they won't have to make a vote uh and uh so that is a direct violation of the whole concept of open government and i want to clarify for our listeners who might be confused about why the open meetings act even applies this idea of 48 hour notice so why it applies in this context is that each committee report that is given at the city council, full city council meeting um, that has measures that were approved by committee that then are going to be um, uh, tendered for approval by the city council. Those reports, each committee reports have to be publicly distributed. They have to be given to the city clerk 48 hours in advance of the full city council meeting in order to comply legally. So what went on here is that Harris, Alderman, Chairman Harris, said that the Rules Committee report that she gave was not the one that she submitted to the city clerk. It was from a, an old, it was from August or something like that. So therefore, it wasn't the report that was uh, submitted 48 hours in advance. That's, that's the technical aspect of this. Which is an interesting mistake to make. Yeah, it's an interesting mistake to make. Let me just point something out. I find it amusing, if you will, 
that Mayor Lori Lightfoot would cite the Open Meetings Act, which is intended to promote openness in government as a justification for closing government down, closing government for public scrutiny, stifling debate, using the Open Meeting Act to stifle debate. That's a so, that is so Chicago. That's just like, <laughs> that is, you know, you again, you promote a principle that you believe in openness in order to justify the exact opposite. So you're not going to have debate. You're going to squelch debate. You're going to keep this proposal buried away from the public. So there'll be no scrutiny. So public can't, not that it, how many people will actually be paying attention? All the listeners of the Ben Jarofsky show. I understand the vast majority of Chicagoans will not be paying attention in any way, but some will care and would want to know. Hey, here's an interesting point that I was thinking about earlier around who's paying attention. You know, the city council started meeting in person again in what was it, March? Mm -hmm. So just the members of the press are the people, only people besides city employees and older people who are there. They do have the mezzanine, which is upstairs, which is a glass walled, you know, and and no one on the floor, hardly anyone on the floor of the city council can see up there. So my point is that the audience section of the city council still does not have any audience in it because they're, 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 they're spacing. I think I've said this before. They spacing out the aldermen throughout the council using the audience section to keep them distant during the meeting. So the public is still not present, you know, for all these meetings. And, And you wouldn't know that, right. Just from, from listening because, you know, the public doesn't get to like, cry out you know sometimes they would cry out if there is something going on so so that's that's an interesting aspect of the scrutiny that is uh still not present here in these pandemic times by the way uh i just want to take opportunity to uh, promote an interview i did with maria haddon way back when where she broke apart she analyzed and we used uh your clips uh in that interview I must great job as I uh, always like to praise Dave Glowatz uh, and she analyzed them and it was uh, good stuff indeed. And she was talking about uh, the sort of like uh, the bizarre parliamentary rules that the the mayor had come up with to justify whatever she wanted to do <laughs> at that moment and Beal contesting them. Uh, so uh, she was advocating that at least we just follow rules. We have rules in a rule book. We follow the rules. That's uh, what her advocacy was. So I urge everybody. By the way, so I'm trying to picture this, Dave. I've never seen a picture of the council that, as you just explained it, where this, the aldermen are sitting in the um, section, the public section. So it, did they move like the 49th ward and the 50 ward? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what they've done is it's interesting. So normally, as you know, the aldermen are seated as, as you face the the rostrum, mm-hmm. the aldermen are seated in ward numerical order from right to left. So on very front row right is first ward, which would normally be Alderman Daniel Espada. And then next would be second, Brian Hopkins, and they're right next to each other. So what they've done this year is they spaced all the aldermen out in the alderman seating area. So there's like two chairs in between each one. Mm-hmm. So instead of not, they're not sitting next to each other. And then they took up um, the audience area, but they seem to have done it by seniority. So, for example, the person who is sitting normally in the first ward chair, top uh, front right, is Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson. Alderman Laspada is sitting, first ward alderman is sitting in the back in the audience section, as is Madden, other rookies, Sigjo uh, uh, Lopez, uh, your Alderman Martin, you know, and they set up little tabletops for them in, in the audience section with a microphone. So that's how it looks. Wait, when did uh, Patrick Daly Thompson was elected in 2015, was it? Or 2000? Somehow he got a front row seat. How, how did he get a front? He, he still he has any seniority over Daly. <laughs> right, so then this leads me to another uh, little uh, bit. Uh, this is no audio on this. I just want to describe what I saw around this medical emergency, Alderman Austin. So right after this thing that we just listened to, where Beale and the all and the mayor were arguing about the you know the, uh, the striking of the rules committee report, after that was done, um, 
Alderman Lopez stood up and challenged the ruling of the chair. He made an appeal, which is something that any council member can do. So I appeal the ruling of the chair. And as he was talking, you know, we're all in the press box to the right of where all the aldermen are sitting as you play, uh, look at the rostrum. We're looking at, at Lopez, who is across the room. Right in front of us is Thompson. All of a sudden, he gets up out of his chair and starts running to his left, just starts running. And, you know, Thompson's a big guy. You've never seen him run, right? And then all, a bunch of aldermen converge on where he, he ran to. And what he happened to see is he happened to be the first one, apparently, who noticed Alderman Austin had slumped over in her, in her seat. And he was like, you know, Johnny on the spot. He was running over to see what was going on. At which point, all the aldermen converged, and the sergeants at arms uh, started saying, clear the room, clear the room, and that meant all the press had to go into the back room where we stood for about you know, 10 or 15 minutes until they got Austin out of there and to a hospital, and then they reconvened the meeting. But that was uh, it was an interesting moment when like everybody watched Thompson running like a linebacker <laughs> down the road. Well, I applaud him for uh, his diligence at that uh, point, so I give him credit for that. But let me go back. I just looked it up. I did my own fact-checking, and he was, in fact, my memory was correct. He was elected in 2019. So he has no more seniority uh, than Maria Haddon. In fact, he was in a runoff. Maria Haddon won without a runoff, so you could argue that she has more seniority than he does. So how come he's got the better seat? They stick all the lefties in the back is what they (laughs) They go, you guys are too far left. If you don't watch it, we're putting you well, in the Well, you know, who else is back there is, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, the guy who had the Twitter scandal. Um, oh, uh, oh, the Gardner? Yeah, Gardner. Gardner's well, in the back. He's a rookie, yeah. too. Now, well, but you said you were, you were postulating that all the lefties are in the back. Well, yeah. Gardner's anything so, but a rookie. Here's, here's, uh, how they, here's how the city of Chicago views it. Somehow or other, if you're of the leftist persuasion, that's the equivalent of sending out uh, harassing texts to women. Well, it's one and the same. They view the lefties as bad as people who send out harassing texts to women. That just goes to show you the city's attitude toward – that reminds me, of course, of the – I've got a big kick on it. It's the Bright Ones headline. They were talking about uh, Rahm Emanuel is going to be – going to be approved uh, as uh, ambassador to Japan. And they go, no significant opposition. And meanwhile, there was like a list of every lefty in the country was against him. And, ah, those lefties, who cares? Anyway, put him in the back of the city council chambers with the harassers. Lucky they don't put you in the parking lot. <laughs> Lucky we let you. By the way, where's Carlos Ramirez Rosa? Also in the back. They got him in the back. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so, so my read of this, my read of this, obviously, yeah. is flawed. You know, it's yeah. not just I, the rookies. Like, it'd be curious to find out how they decided. What rhyme or reason? What are they? It's not wrestling. It's certainly not in numerical order. There are a couple of right. people who got to keep their seats. Like Scott Wagespeck is in his regular seat. You know, so well, Scotty's uh, got seniority. Young Scott. Let's see if true let's see if, let's true see if Dave Boatz can do this. Uh, Dave Glowatz, what year was Scott Wagespeck first elected to the Chicago? I certainly don't know, but it was during, the, of course, the, <laughs> the, the Emanuel administration, right? Or no, it was during the Daly administration because he voted no on the parking lot deal. So that would be, uh, let me guess, 2011? 2009? <laughs> I, you, I don't know. In the year 2007. Uh, that was my was next elected. guess. Now, for 10 trivia points, who did he defeat? In a uh, that was um, 32nd Ward. Very good. Ooh, it's my word. <laughs> so, well, you should uh, know that. Well, he wasn't my ward at the time. I used to be in the first ward. So. Uh, I think you were in the 33rd ward originally. No, I was in the first ward. How much you went back? Um, where you live? <laughs> yeah, I moved. I moved since then. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could just edit this whole part of the show. <laughs> uh, let's see. A wild guess. Um, so my alderman was Ray Cologne. Mm. Uh, so is it during his tenure? Ray Cologne was the thirty-fifth ward alderman. 
I all right. So that, my older one was not Ray Cologne. My alderman, but he was my patron. I was a bartender. That's how. I, um, you know, my alderman was uh, the guy who now works for the state, Manny Flores. That so, is correct. Uh, uh, Ted Matlack. I would not have guessed that. No. As Dennis says, I'm really twisted that I have this in my memory. I can't figure out how to plug my microphone in. Okay. All right. I got just confused and baffled by that. And I turned to people like you for assistance. But I don't know, man. It wasn't you, Ben. It was the equipment, I think. Yes, I know it was the equipment. And Best Buy. I'm on to you, Best Buy. You sold me a lousy <laughs> laptop. Because anyway. you're not going in there anymore. I think we're going to end it there, Ben. The last one is kind of dispensable. So uh, I think I think we'll, well, we'll close it, it off there. You did a great job. Here, here, man. That was some good stuff. And uh, what can I say? I really uh, enjoyed, particularly the first one, uh, Jason Irvin really put new to uh, Raylo. And Raylo, you know, I love you. But I think he had a good point there. Uh, and so great job, Dave Glowatz. Uh, tell folks where they can find all your good work uh, on the Internet. Go ahead. Find it at the Inside Chicago Government website. That's chigov.com. If you're a Facebook fan, you could go to facebook.com slash insidegovgov. And on Twitter, at chigovt. And if you're still using email, you can get to us via comment at shygov.com. And thanks to you, Ben, and thanks to Dennis for all your commitment to um, Chicago government and to indulging my obsession. Yes, I uh, share your obsession, so uh, uh, I'm indulging myself. All right, uh, Dave Glowatz, thank you very much. Uh, pretty much once a month, this young man comes on our show uh, and does his city council wrap-up. Sometimes it's twice a month. I'm always bugging him. Hey, can you get any more? And he's like, Ben, I'm busy. I can't just drop everything and do one of your shows. Uh, but I've never said that. You no, know, I've never said that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's at least once a month, and I look forward to it. It's a blast. So thank you very much, Dave Gloetz. Uh, and I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as uh, Ray Lopez and Anthony B. Will, Beale will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D., and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of every year we get power to one person. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.